So our series is A New Way to Be Human. Again, my name is Dion. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online and also all of you who are here, especially if you're new. We're glad that you're here. If you weren't here with us last weekend, um, we kicked off this series talking about this crazy high-tech world that we're living in where um, now artificial intelligence and robotics are encroaching on turf that used to be exclusively human. Um, if you missed that, you can go back and look at some of that um, from last week's message. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really weird how it, these things are advancing and they're beginning to like, move into human territory and we're living in a world where it's easier and easier and easier for us to be replaced by machinery and computers and artificial intelligence. Um, we also explored last week the very real possibility that Doug Moss is actually a super duper high tech preaching robot. Um, and that's why he's so good and can do it without notes. Um, but I, what we actually talked about last week is this idea that even though these things encroach in our territory, that our place in this world is secure, it's safe. Because last week we talked about how, how our place, your place, it isn't earned, it's given. It isn't earned, it's given. That in the very beginning, God gave you a place in this created world and it's it's, you're not able to lose it. You can't be replaced. At the basis of your life, and I mean, this, this is so transformational when you can begin to accept this, on the basis of your identity, your life, your existence, the foundation of that is not anything that you do. It's not anything that you contribute. It's, it's not anything that you can do better than someone else. It's not a matter of outworking or outlasting, you know, other people or the machines or anything else. That you have been, you have been given a place in this world, you've been given a place in a relationship with God. You've, you've been just, it's, it's given and it's not earned. And so we talked last week about how you can relax. You can exhale. Because God has given you a place. It's not something that you have to earn. And I hope you were able to relax and exhale. Because this week we're going to get to work. See, the first chapter of Genesis ends not where we ended last week. It goes a little further, and we're going to go a little further to see what happens after we were created, given this incredible place. Um, we're going to see that we were given our first job. I'm curious, how many of you remember your first job? Anyone remember your first job? Uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them what your first job was, if they don't already know. Go ahead, tell them. Either those are some really long job titles or you had to do a lot of explaining. Uh, any, anyone, anyone think they like have the market cornered on the oddest first job? And there's like, you know, mowing lawns or babysitting or fast food. Anyone have something that's just kind of unique? What was that? A pretzel boy on the corner. I assume that means you're selling pretzels, not... Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. You... You might get it, Ralph. That might be it. So um, we're going to look at our first job given to us as humans um, after our place was established, Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created, we looked at this last week, so God created mankind in his own image, and this is where we find our place. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So, so we are created in, in the image of God. That's not anything God gave to anything else in all of creation that 
that, that assures us that our place is secure. We talked last week about how then in Jesus, God does a Genesis in reverse and he remakes himself in our image. Jesus puts on flesh and so we have this bond to God that again guarantees that we are irreplaceable. We're like nothing else. He's made a, a covenant with us, a pact with us. So we're given this place in creation and then we're given work. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So much to your chagrin, your crazy vegan aunt is probably right. At the beginning, we just ate seeds and fruit and stuff and not animals, not yet. That happened later. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the beads, uh, all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, um, you know, God creates everything in the world. He creates us in his image, unlike anything else, gives us this special place. He steps back, takes his breath away. We talked about that last week. But you see that in this, not only are we given our place, but we're given work. Right after our place is given, then God says, okay, now, now here's the job I want you to do. And really the work is twofold. The first thing is to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. Um, part of that is you know, reproduction, it's procreation. But bigger than that, what God is saying is that part of our work is to fill the earth with other image bearers of God. And we know that while the world is full of people that not everyone recognizes the image of God in them and they've not been reconnected, they've not had the image of God restored in them through a relationship with Jesus. And so, yeah, it applies to procreation or reproduction. It also applies to mission and, and what we exist for as a church to help people know the love of God and to live under it so that they might be full image bearers of God living out um, his, his ways, his his calling for them in this world. That's, that's part of our work. And then the second part of our work, did you see it? I had it highlighted. It was increasing. Did you see the other part of our job? Yeah. The word was rule. Um, so the other thing that God gave us to do was to have dominion, to rule over the earth, to be in stewardship over it, to take care of it. And so God gives us our place and he gives us work. And when he gives us work, that's when it starts getting a little confusing for us, I think. With this introduction of work, and work, by the way, is something we're created for. It's not a necessary evil, like I got to work because I got to eat. No, no, no. Work is something you're created for. It's part of your, your, your reason for existing. But when God introduces this thing of work, that's where it gets confusing for us. That's where we often get twisted up because we start to forget that first our place was given and then God gives us work. And too often we look at our work as the thing that will give us our place where we can prove our worthiness or our, our, you know, we can find our status through our work. This is the reason that men, when they meet another, another guy at a party, first question is, hey, what's your name? The second question is... What do you do for a living? I know we're in St. Louis, so probably the second question is, where did you go to high school? And then the third question is, what do you do for a living? But, but that's where this whole thing gets twisted up for us, that we start to take too much of our identity from our work, and work is something we're created for. But our place is given, 
It's not earned, and we're going to come back to this a little bit later. But that's basically it. God's work is done. He steps back. It takes his breath away. He declares that it's very good, evening, morning. And then there's this postscript, the beginning of chapter 2. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. On the seventh day, God does what? He rests. Now, this may seem a little weird. I remember when I was a kid first hearing this, I thought, that's so weird. I just pictured God like coming in from outside, you know, working hard and plopping down and the lazy boy kicking back and saying, kids, be quiet. I need to close my eyes for a minute. Um, Probably not what this means. And yet if this idea of God resting is, is sort of strange for you, I think it probably says more about what we believe about rest and work for that matter. Um, it's been said that in Europe, I'm going to speak in generalization, so forgive me. It's been said that in Europe, um, people primarily see work as a means to rest, So in Europe, um, rest, vacation, travel, recreation is is kind of the thing that we're all trying to get to, and work is the thing that enables that. So in Europe, it's it's often said that, you know, you you think about how much do I actually have to work so I don't starve, so I can travel, so I can do this other stuff, but work is seen as a means to an end. It's, It's really about resting or recreating or enjoying, and work helps you get there. And so in Europe, you know, it's like, well... If we work about 10 months out of the year, then we can travel the other two months and we can enjoy life. And most Americans are like, what? You travel for two months? Because see, in America, we have a different ethic or we have a different understanding of this relationship. In America, I think it's safe to say, again, by and large, speaking in generalizations, that for us, we think work is the thing. And rest is a means to an end. Rest is something that we need so that we can work. And so we ask ourselves questions like, how much do I have to rest so I can be at my maximum performance, so I can, I can reach my potential? Or how much vacation do I have to take so that I don't burn out or so that my spouse doesn't leave me or my family doesn't hate me someday? Like, you know, what's, what's the minimum number? Or how many hours of sleep do I need a night so that I can, I can perform well? We think work is the key to our value, our worth. And so we kind of see work as the thing and rest is, um, is a means to an end. So who's right? Europe or America? I don't know what that murmur was, but the answer is neither. The answer is neither. Um, The reality is work and rest, these, these are two facets of existing. They're two parts of our created experience. And we see them even within the being of God himself, that he works and he rests. And it's not that work is for rest or rest is for work. Yeah, sure, they fuel each other. And and there's this thing going on here, but, but each has a purpose. Each has a benefit. Each is part of... Our, our, our existence of what we were created to experience. See, what we're talking about here is we're talking about rhythms. Rhythms. And I know for some of us, rhythm is kind of a hard thing. Frankly, I know this because I've heard you try to clap along with music. 
It's not easy for us. And rhythms are hard for us in another way. You see, all throughout Genesis, you see these rhythms that God operates on, these rhythms that he sows into creation. And so in Genesis, if you were here last week, you see this pattern of there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. This rhythm of day and night and creating and And there's also this rhythm of separating and filling. God separates the sky, the atmosphere, from the rest of space. And he separates the land from the seas, and then later he fills those things. So there's a rhythm of separating and filling. And there's a rhythm, there's a rhythm of work and rest. See, all throughout the Genesis story, I mean, you just kind of even hear it in in the cadence of the words, there are these rhythms that God puts into our created world to ensure that we will experience all facets of what it means to be alive, to be his, to be human. And yet, from the time that we are small, I mean, I'm talking about tiny, our first experiences in this world are often experiences where we are trying to subvert and rebel against these natural rhythms. Anyone ever had a kid that got its days and nights, a baby that's got got its days and nights confused, mixed up? You're saying, come on, I know you're a baby, but this isn't that hard. Sleep at night, awake during the day. To me, it's just a sign of of the fact that we're just rebelling against these rhythms. Kids do it as they get older. Your kid misses a nap and they're overtired and then you're trying to get them to sleep later and they won't sleep and you're like, the reason you're miserable is because you need to sleep. Just go to sleep and they won't sleep. It's this rebellion against this natural rhythm and we as adults do the same. We get to the end of our day and we're exhausted, we're tired. We could, all the work's done, we could go and and sleep but instead we plop down and flip through the channels mindlessly or we scroll through our phones mindlessly just seems that from our earliest experiences on this planet, we are rebelling against these natural rhythms that God has sown into creation. I remember a few years ago reading this article, and, uh, and this, this, the writer of this article was talking about how you can hack your sleep so that you only need three hours of sleep, of sleep a day. And, and really it's a day because you, you time these special naps throughout the day and you can, you can fully function on three hours sleep. And the writer was talking about how great this is. And I was reading that and I'm going, what's wrong with these people? Like, I think sleep is awesome. Anyone else? I love sleep. Why fight against sleep? I mean, what's wrong with us that we're like, wouldn't this be great if we only had to sleep three hours? Just forget it. I mean, sleep's a gift. And And yet you you take this rebellious inborn tendency that we all have that fights against these natural rhythms that that are sown into creation that we were created for. And and then here's what happens. You, You take that tendency and you add to it modern technology and now we have a big problem. See, it was bad enough when it was just us fighting against these natural rhythms. But now we have this accomplice with us that enables us to launch an all-out assault against the rhythms that God has sown into creation that he has made us for. Uh, for example, it used to be that when the sun went down, you had to stop working. You couldn't see, you just couldn't work. There wasn't enough light. I mean, you just, you just had to give up on working and you had to wait for light again before you could work again. Or in some places, um, it, it used to be that when our work was kind of built around certain kinds of work, and we did a lot more of the same things, we grew our food or we hunted our food, that there would be whole seasons of time where we couldn't work. 
The ground wouldn't allow it. We just had to rest. We had to wait for another season where then we could work and we'd work our tails off to make sure that we didn't starve. But, but there was this natural rhythm built into creation or in some climates still today. I think St. Louis is one of these. We're just in denial. There come these moments where it's so hot in the middle of the day that you can't do anything. Sound familiar? Um, and, yet, and yet we still do stuff. But in most places they're like, okay, you know, we're not going to fight this. Just lay down, find some shade, take a nap somewhere. And then when it cools off, go back to your work. And there are these rhythms in creation, but, but not anymore for us. We found a way to, to, again, to hack our environment so that we don't have to submit to any of these rhythms. We can work day or night, can't we? Through any season, we've got heat, we've got AC, we've got everything we need. We don't have to listen to the created world anymore. We get to set the pace. We get to decide. We don't have to listen to those rhythms anymore. Up until fairly recently, if you took a vacation from work, even if you packed a briefcase, you still were working. Nowadays, we can work from wherever, can't we? And we do. And it's kind of convenient, but in another way, that means we can never escape. That even when we go far away from home, we can still be working. We never escape. Let me make this just a little more personal. Um, I've been on a journey probably for the last year or so. It might have had something to do with turning 40 last year. Um, And I turned 41 and it didn't go away. And so I'm like, okay, this is a thing now. Where I've been trying to get at a source of deep... um, discontentment, uh, just a lack of joy in my life in spite of all the evidence that my life is pretty great. I've been trying to understand what that is and I've been wondering, you know, is this, is this depression that kind of runs in my family? Is this anxiety? Is this, you know, bad habits? Is, is this a midlife crisis? What, what is this? And so um, rather than sitting around and just feeling bad, I'm in counseling and I'm doing a bunch of other stuff and I'll spare you the list because it would just make you tired to share with you all the things that I'm trying to do to get at this, to understand what this is because I don't want to live this way. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that I have gotten really good at neutralizing all of life's normal rhythms that armed with this, you know, accomplice of mine, this, this little screen I always have in my back pocket or in the palm of my hand, I can stay connected all the time to the things that stress me out, um, the things that I need to be doing, to responsibilities, to, I, 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 can, I can stay removed, even, even when my environment around me changes, I can stay connected and I, I find myself living this place where I've got one gear and it's, it's a high gear, I'm going all the time toward my work and I've just thrown all of these natural rhythms that God, that God was good enough to sow into creation that he exhibits in himself, that he invites us into. I've just thrown all of those things out the window, which is a really dangerous thing to do. And I know I'm not alone. If any of you are sitting here today and that's kind of where you are, um, let me just tell you that God has a deep desire to rescue us from all messes that we're in, including the messes that we've made. Uh, Just to prove the point, uh, long ago, God's people, the Israelites, through no fault of their own, they found themselves in slavery living in Egypt. Some of you know this. And uh, there's nothing in the world that's more dehumanizing than slavery is there. I mean, it, it it just strips away the very 
essence of what it means to be human because you take away any freedom or autonomy or choice. You turn someone into basically a machine where their whole existence is about producing, making someone else happy, where they have no self, they have no independence. I mean, it's, it, it is so dehumanizing, the most dehumanizing thing I can think of, which is why it's an evil thing not just kind of in the moral conscience of our world, but even, even in the mind of God. And, and so God's people are living in slavery in Egypt and God sees them, he hears them, and he sees them being stripped away of their humanity day by day, year by year. And so he sends a delivery, he sends Moses into Egypt. And some of you know about Moses. He goes in with power and miracles to rescue the people. And so, so he does, he saves the people from Egypt. They, they, he frees them, they leave, they cross the Red Sea. They go into this place of wilderness. And one of the first things, do you know one of the first things that God does with these people that he's just rescued from slavery is he begins out there on a mountain, he begins to teach them about these rhythms again. One of the first things God says to them is, um, from now on, you're going to work six days. But on the seventh day, you're going to rest. He introduced this idea that we might know as Sabbath. Six days you work, on the seventh day you rest. Now I want you to think for a second. I want you to think of what a gift that must have been. What, what, what a gift that must have felt like to those e- to those Israelites who've been living in Egypt, to suddenly be told by God to say, hey, you are under an obligation now where you work six days and on the seventh day you rest because you're no longer just, you're no longer defined by the number of bricks you can make during the course of a day and and, and it's no longer like you gotta work from sun up to sun down for someone else and and you you have got value and worth and meaning. You've, You've got something about you that is worthy, that counts, that matters, that is beyond your ability to produce. And God says, I want, you to, I want you to discover the power of being, not doing, and, 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 so, and so can you imagine what a gift that must have been for these people who lived in slavery, dehumanized, to say one day a week, you're just going to sit and you're going to discover the other side of what it means to be human. And I don't know how long it took, but I know it didn't take very long before this incredible gift that God gave those people became nothing more than an obligation and a frustration and a thing to work around and it became a, a means by which people proved how religious they were, moral, and if they were good people. And, and, and Jesus comes onto the scene and this drives him crazy. I mean, he, he takes aim at this whole thing of Sabbath because people messed it all up. They missed the point. And he goes around and he challenges the Sabbath and he preaches this message that Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. In other words, you've turned Sabbath into a master over you. It's meant to be a gift. It was created for you to help you experience the fullness of what it means to be human, to get you back into these natural rhythms. See, go back to Genesis chapter two. That's what this whole thing is about. The seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Why does God rest? Well, let's explore that. Why does God rest? We got the napping theory. We covered that. You know, kick back in the lazy boy. He's tired. Probably not true. I don't think God gets tired like that. Uh, what about this? The example theory. I think this holds a lot of weight with us or carries a lot of weight with us. That um, we tend to think that, okay, God doesn't need to rest, clearly. He's just setting an example for us because we do need to know how to rest. And so he's saying, hey, guys. You're not as strong as me. You're not as all powerful as me. So I'm just going to break this down for you real simple. I'm going to rest. See me resting. You need to rest. 
as if God's just setting some sort of example because we're so much weaker and inferior. Um, I could add up here the retirement theory. I didn't have that one on there, but I should have. The retirement theory is just like, God's like, hey, I did my work, I worked hard, now it's your turn, right? I'm gonna right off into the sunset. Um, I've got one other theory, and it's called the rest is a valuable part of being theory. It's catchy, isn't it? Um, Rest is a valuable part of being. Maybe the reason God rested is because rest is a valuable part of being. Maybe it's not just an example he was demonstrating. It wasn't just an object lesson. It wasn't because he was tired. But God is showing us that rest is a valuable part of being. God is showing us that even within himself, rest is a part of his existence. And so could it be that, that rest and this call to rest is a call to something that God already does within his being and he's inviting us in. Could it be that God benefits from rest just as much as we do? Maybe for different reasons, maybe for some of the same reasons. It, could it be that, that for God, it's important even for God to step back from doing and sometimes just to experience being that that's an important rhythm. Doing is important for sure, but so is being. And could it be true that that's important not just for us, but that's important for God himself. That's, that's part of his very being, how he stays whole and full in, in all the other things that God is. Could it be that, that even for God, there's this, there's this balance between contributing and enjoying you know, producing and being productive and then just taking it all in. That it's not all onto the next thing, but, but there's actually time to let it fill you and to take your breath away. Or, or could it be that for God and us, there's value in this rhythm or this balance of evaluating and simply enjoying See, maybe it's not just that God is tired or he's setting an example for us. Maybe this whole thing is just part of what it means to be alive and whole and full. Maybe your wholeness and your fullness depends on learning these rhythms. So I want to ask you today, what things have dehumanized you? What things in your life have stripped you of parts of your humanity? And for us, Um, It may look different. For some of you, that's trauma. For some of you, that's judgment. Isn't it amazing how someone can speak a word over you about how you look or um, they can say something disparaging about your effort or your your worthiness or your sufficiency and it 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 can just make you feel less than fully human. Um, what about bad decisions? I mean, bad decisions that you've made that just kind of eat away at you, carry a lot of regret, guilt, shame, but bad decisions that have somehow eroded part of what it means to, to be fully human or, or bad habits. L- let me just tell you that if you come here today feeling a little less than fully human, let, let me just reassure you of something. God's deep desire is to rescue you and restore you just like with those people in Egypt, just like Adam and Eve in the garden before they, even anything even happened, happened, God's desire is to rescue 
and restore. And I want you to know today, if you don't know this, that Jesus is your rescue. He's your rescue from everything that enslaves you, everything that binds you. He's the new and greater Moses who marches into our Egypt and demands freedom for us. And he comes armed with greater power than Moses. He has everything that we need to find freedom. He comes to rescue into the world, wants to rescue you, he came, but he comes into our lives today and he offers us freedom. He says, I want to take you away from this place, from all these things that enslave you, that are dehumanizing. I want to take you from these things into a place of freedom. Jesus has the power to do that in your life, whatever it is. He has the power to break every chain, and I hope you know that. And then after you've experienced freedom, and I think this is where a lot of us live, um, then through Jesus, through the teaching of the Holy Spirit, God wants to help us find these rhythms again. Because we can be free, but still not fully who we've been created to be. And it's through these rhythms that we find the fullness of our being. It's through these rhythms that we can find restoration. And so today, I just want to throw you a a list of things that I think they've been helpful to me, and I hope they're not sacred, they're not in the Bible exactly, Um, but I hope they can be helpful to you. Ways that we can begin to reclaim our rhythms, because even when you've been set free, that doesn't mean you're fully alive. These rhythms that God has sown into creation are so important to get in touch with. So uh, for starters, eat meals without your phone. My wife says the only apples allowed at the table are the ones that you can eat. So, um, at, you know, we just kind of don't, don't have those at the table. Um, and so, um, like, meals, they're a time to really appreciate and enjoy. Food tastes good, doesn't it? But how often do we actually just appreciate or enjoy? Um, company, sharing table fellowship, it's sacred in the Bible. How often do we allow ourselves to truly just enjoy the people that we're with? Um, it's a great way just to get in touch with this rhythm of, of appreciating the fruit of your, of your work. Or what about this? Sleep when the sun goes down. I mean, give or take. I know the sun's going down at different times all the ta- time, but this is a principle. If you're one of these people who find yourself, I just want to be awake when it's dark and I want to sleep during the day, realize your fight, it's a rebellion against your natural rhythms. It's a, it's a rebellion against your biochemistry. Sunlight goes into your skin and your eyes and it produces chemicals that keep you awake. It's how you're made. Quit fighting it. And so when the sun goes down, head to bed and get seven hours sleep minimum. It's, it's just a way that, it's a way that you, get to, you get to experience being, not doing, enjoying, not contributing, all that stuff. Um, third, get outside. Uh, and then I put unplugged because I can be outside. I do this all the time. I take the dog out um, and I'm just like looking and I'm like... Put the phone away. Look around, right? Um, Because getting outside, we live in these boxes that we've created. It's like we're insulating ourselves from the created rhythms that God has put in the world. And I know there are other reasons that we're doing that, but it just seems like this is sometimes an extension of our rebellion. So one of the best things we can do is just get outside, get into the place that God made, get our feet on the soil, get our hands in the soil, get reconnected with the physical world. Because in the created world, you see it in Genesis. This is not new age weird stuff. You see it in Genesis that in the created world, God is anchoring us there. And the further we get away from the stuff that God makes and the stuff that we make, the more distant we get from those rhythms that are necessary for us finding our, our fullness. Uh, this one is going to look weird to you maybe. Try meditation. Now, for years, I thought meditation was this weird, like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving my body, I'm leaving my mind, I'm operating on another plane. And maybe some meditation is that. I don't do that meditation. 
for me, the kind of meditation I've been learning about is it's, it's really simple. It's all about learning to be present in my body. Here's the thing about you. Your body is the only part of you that has to be present in each moment. Your mind, it can live anywhere, and it often does, right? Um, in the future, planning, worrying, in the past, you know, regretting, thinking about what you wish would have gone differently. Your, your heart is the same. Uh, your, body, your body has no choice. You are not omnipresent. You have no choice other than in your body to be present. And when you learn how to be present in your body, it's, it's, it's just a healthy thing to learn how to be present when you're anchored to your body. And so maybe meditation's a good thing for you. It doesn't have to be weird spiritual kind of mojo, mumbo jumbo, hippy dippy stuff, right? Uh, notice five things. This is powerful. You know, even today I was just sitting over there. This is my third service. I know what's happening in the service. It's easy for me just to check out. And to, you know, think about what I've got to do later today and tomorrow. Uh, I've started to pick up this discipline to stop being so mindless, but to start to be a little more mindful. Just noticing five things. So I'm looking around and I'm just noticing. I'm noticing you. I was looking at some of you. I was noticing you. And you can do this in your life with people. Start noticing five things about the person maybe that you wake up next to every day. You, you, you think you know what they look like. Notice them in a new way. Notice your environment. Notice your drive to work. You, you know that feeling when you're on vacation and you're looking around and you're like, wow, this place is beautiful. Oh my gosh. And you're so invigorated by your environment. Or you know when you're meeting a new person and you're sitting down with them and you're going, what a fascinating person. And wow, you're so interesting. And, and you feel just like, you feel alive. Maybe that's because you're experiencing something new and it's fun to experience something new. Or maybe those are just moments when you're actually noticing what's around you. Maybe what feels so great is not that your environment's changed, but that you're noticing. I'm telling you, this is powerful when you start to notice things. It moves you out of this constant, I've got to contribute to, I'm just going to appreciate. I've got to prove myself to, I'm just going to enjoy and admire what's around me. And, and you discover a part of your humanity when you do that. Or finally, here um, for years now, probably eight and a half years, we've been talking about these numbers, one, one, fifteen, six. They may be new to you. I'd encourage you to study up on these. I'm not going to go into depth into these things. But, but even, this is, this is fascinating to me. It's like we knew this before I'm learning this, that even your spiritual journey, even your spiritual growth, it is nothing more than learning rhythms. And so we talk about our journey is not, you know, a whole to-do list as much as it is practicing these rhythms. So give one day a week to God and worship. I don't know if you see this word here, worship and rest, right? Eight and a half years ago, like, it's, it's biblical. It's part of this rhythm that you're going to work hard, but give one day a week to God and worship to connect with each other and in rest, be someone to another person, spend 15 minutes each day in a faith-building discipline, live the six other days serving God by serving others. They're not, they're not perfect, but you see what they are, the rhythms, and here's the great thing, technology, you can use it to serve all of these things. Technology doesn't have to be your master. It can be the thing that helps you with all of, all of these rhythms if you let it. If you let it be your servant rather than letting it be your master. But here's what I can tell you no matter what. That one of the things that separates you from these things, no matter if they can outsmart you, they can outwork you, they can outthink you, no matter what, is that you like nothing else in creation, have been invited to share in these sacred rhythms that reside in the very being of God himself. 
these practices that he's experienced from the very beginning, he invites us into those things to fully experience them. And here's what else I can tell you. That no matter how beaten down you get by life, no matter how dehumanizing you you found this week, and life has a way of doing that to us, here's what I can tell you. Jesus has a deep desire to rescue you. And God has a deep desire to restore you to these rhythms so that you might feel fully alive. In fact, today I want to close just by praying for that for us. So bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, today um, I recognize that there are some of us in this room and we, we need rescue from a situation from a relationship, and that may not mean taking us out of the relationship, but it may just be changing the dynamic in a relationship. Father, from, from behavior, from um, an addiction, a struggle, that some of us need rescue, and we cry out to you in our slavery, and we invite you to, to come, we beg for you to come and set us free. Father, there are a lot of us who need to be restored too. We know your freedom, and yet we, we don't feel as alive as we want to, as we think we should, as even Genesis describes we should. We, we feel like we're barely existing. And so God, by your spirit, will you teach us what it looks like to live according to these new rhythms? God, just above all today, I pray for a fresh encounter with you right now. And I pray that if there are people in this space who have never really known or experienced your love, that right now you would just pour it out on them. That the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross and and, and the worth and the value with which Jesus sees them, that they will see themselves that way for a moment and they will just be caught up in the greatest love imaginable. Father, I pray that you'd give us that. And I pray that you do that not only for people who've never experienced that before, but give that to all of us who have experienced that before. Give it to us again so that we can have a foretaste in the here and now of what you want for us, what you gave your son's life that we might be able to have and that we would not settle for less than the fullness of the life that you want us to have. So, Father, impress us with a sense of love and value of worth and beauty that you have put inside of us as yours and that you have reaffirmed in the gift of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.